Hello and welcome to the How Data Should Work podcast, a podcast series from Capgemini Canada that seeks to bring a practical, business-focused lens on the often complicated world of data and analytics. I am your host, Stephen Cron, Vice President and Head of Insights and Data at Capgemini Canada. On today's episode, we are going to unpack some of the key trends in data beyond 2022. The investments in the world of data continue to drive some really meaningful innovation. And I'm very, very happy to say that to help us unpack some of these trends, we're going to be welcoming a guest from one of the pioneering companies in the world of data, and specifically from Snowflake. And today, I'm glad to welcome John Palazzulo, Senior Manager of Sales and Engineering from Snowflake. John, welcome to the How Data Should Work podcast. Thank you for having me, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I probably did a really poor job of, you know, doing a wholesome introduction here. So, John, maybe I can ask you to just introduce yourself to the uh, the audience here. I'd love for you to kind of give us a quick summary of your career arc. And I would love if you could close with an answer to this question, which is, why are you passionate about data? Why why do you work in this space and why do you continue to, you know, uh, to extend your career in this space? I'd love to know that answer. Yeah, that, uh, that's a, it's a really good question and an exciting one as well. But uh, just a little bit of background on me. I've been with uh, Snowflake for about three and a half years now, and I've helped grow Snowflake uh, Canada and enter into the Canadian market. And my job is to empower my teams to help Canadian organizations really adopt new ways of thinking about and using data. Um, so it's an exciting place to be, and I'm privileged to be a, a part of that. Now, previous to this, I come with about 15 years of enterprise software experience, um, and I quickly realized the the impact that pre-sales could have on enterprises to help them unlock business value. So from enterprise content management to web content management to digital asset management to data management, it's mm-hmm. it's about using software to unlock the value that it provides. So that's where yeah. I've been for uh, for the span of my career. Fantastic. So chances are, for many of the folks who are listening to this podcast, they know Snowflake. But if we do have some folks, John, on the call who have not heard of the company before, maybe I can turn it over to you for an introduction into Snowflake. Yeah, that would be that'd be great. So Snowflake is the data cloud. That's our tagline. But what does that really mean, right? It's a network where Snowflake customers, partners, data providers, data consumers can break down their data silos and derive value from all of the data that they have in a secure and governed manner. Now, that's a whole bunch of mumbo jumble. So if I break it down one layer deeper, right, what does it really mean? It's a data platform that spans all three major hyperscalers, AWS, Azure, GCP. It leverages near infinite scale of the cloud that it has to offer and near unlimited amounts of data can be put into into Snowflake to be managed. It allows you to manage all of your data types, unstructured, structured, semi-structured, streaming in one platform. It's highly secure. It's offered as a service, really a hands-off approach, no more tuning, no more pruning, no more of the you know the DBA admins needing to uh, to manage um, the core fundamentals of the system itself. It handles all of your workloads from the data warehouse workload to a data lake to building data applications on top of Snowflake to enabling data science, 
and data sharing collaboration, which we're gonna really jump into a little bit later in, uh, in the podcast here. But essentially it allows you to manage all of your data to drive meaningful business insights um, and build data-driven applications from, from your data. So that's a little bit about Snowflake. That's fantastic. And so the reason I was so excited to speak with John about this topic is in your role, you have the opportunity to talk about data, the modernization of data across essentially all industries in Canada, whether we're talking about a utility or an energy company, a financial services company, a retailer, for example. And you know, you and I had a chance to exchange notes a little bit ahead of this to sort of figure out what is it that these organizations in Canada really are starting to think through and what are they going to be able to sort of get, you know, hopefully well positioned to sort of adopt and, and look at making a meaningful investment to. And so through some of those notes that we've shared and, and our collective experiences, we thought there's probably four things that are happening in the world of data beyond 2022 that's worth, you know, worth discussing, worth unpacking. And those four things are, you know, data as a product and obviously the data mesh around that as well, data sharing and data collaboration, data in a multi-cloud environment and uh, data for sustainability. So those are the four things that we've come up with. And maybe we can just kind of go in order here a little bit. And let's start with, you know, data as a product. This is something where if you look back into 2018, 2019, not a lot of organizations in, in Canada and certainly North America overall were thinking through what does it mean to look at data as a product. But over the last few years, this notion of the data mesh has really started to, to pique interest. And we've seen organizations in Canada actually got, start going down this road of uh, adopting a data mesh. And one of the things to really think about and how to frame a data mesh is, in my view, is it's not just a technology change, it's really a, a socio-technology change, right? It's really fundamental change, changes of, of ways of working and fundamentally changes how you think about the ownership of data, how that data is secured, ingested, transformed and cleansed and ultimately made available you know, for, for analytics. And I was curious to get your take around where are you seeing in terms of, you know, the adoption of data mesh today? And what do we think is potentially on the horizon as we look ahead to, to next year and years beyond for organizations that are potentially going to go down this road? So give me your take on the data mesh and, and data as a product. Yeah, it, it's an exciting uh, concept or a set of principles, if you will, that are really coming to bear nicely as we've moved into this world of cloud adoption previous to um, to the cloud and what the cloud actually provides all of us. There was a finite amount of space that you could store data in. There was a finite amount of compute power that you could actually process that data with. And the cloud has really unlocked all of this. So yes. with that unlocking, you know, I would say the, the data mesh has a couple of key principles that come along with it, right? One is around domain centric ownership. And what I mean by that is think about the line of business, right? The line of business understands what that outcome should be. Mm -hmm. And typically in a traditional way of working, organizations are working with their data engineering teams or, you know, they're, they're bringing in data. They don't know what the meaning of that data is. So when you put a business context on top of that, we're going to be able to get better insights and analytics from that data itself. So, you know, I would say the first one is around the, the, the domain centric or the ownership from a line of business perspective, putting that spin on it. Um, architecturally as well, as I mentioned, this finite amount of space, this finite amount of commute power, 
the cloud has really opened this up. So architecturally speaking, we now have infinite amount of uh, mm -hmm. compute power at our disposal. We have you know, an unlimited amount of storage at our disposal as well. So how do we put the power of the cloud to work in this yes. as well? And so we've been able to unlock that, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in, you know, in the in the you know the multi-cloud scenario. But Snowflake, yes. in and itself, you know, spans across the three major hyperscalers: AWS, mm -hmm. Azure, GCP, and we've rewritten how you manage data from scratch. Um, traditionally, we called it a data warehouse because we had to pinpoint somewhere. But you know, from being able to house your data in a warehouse. Uh, data lake, for example, or being able to combine all of those together, really what we call the data cloud, right? Yes. Provides network effects there. It, it allows this architecture unlocks this immense amount of value. So applying this first principle of the line of business or this domain sector centric ownership and the architecture um, unlocked the first step in this 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 process here. Um, the 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 second principle I would say is data as a product right mm -hmm. or that right if, uh, Absolutely. if you will from uh from a uh, from an acronym perspective but once we get all of this data petabytes zettabytes of data into a system that can actually handle it uh, you need to be able to make that data discoverable right you need to make sure that anyone in the organization democratizing that data it's available to them yes you got to make sure that the data is well documented as well, right? Sending out a bunch of SQL queries is not going to help a lot of the line of business users, right? So that that data product that you're putting to, pulling together from you know multiple data sources that are going to impact a business outcome needs to really be defined well, right? So yes. you, you know the, the cataloging concept of it, if if you will. Um, and then, you know, last but not least, it, the quality of that data, yes. the line of business, the, the domain centric owners are going to be able to tell you the quality, right? Is this good? Is this bad? It takes the guessing away from the the, the actual data engineers, right? They're, they're great at bringing data in. They're wonderful at blending, transforming that data, making it actionable. But without yes. that business context, right? You really lose a little bit of that 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 edge there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that adoption and that sort of thinking through data as a product and, and what we call DAP, it is it is fundamentally a, a difference in, you know, how an organization changes its ways of working and ways of sort of thinking about data. And, you know, the other day I was, um, I was uh, you know, I think I was proofreading a, a bit of a, a thought you know, thought leadership piece that I was doing on on DAP, and uh, my seven-year-old happened to hear me talk about uh, DAP, and she looked at me and said, "Dad, it's pronounced dab. It's dabbing." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is different than dabbing, but just as cool. Just as cool." Was my way of sort of framing it for her. So, John, maybe we can help our audience by defining what do we mean by data as a product or or dab. Over to you for a little bit of a a 101, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, that it's a it's a great idea to put these four principles into uh, into motion, if you will. So when we think about data as a product, you know, it we can imagine this you know, data as we'll talk about a little bit later coming from the data marketplace, one stream of data. You have your ERP data, you have your marketing data, you have your CRM data. There's many different data sources that are coming in that you have to manage and that you have to blend with this third party data itself. 
You've got to apply the security around it. You got to make sure the business logic's in there. You have to make sure it's all discoverable. Uh, but inside of all of that, right, we might have in the olden days received, you know, FTP or SFTP. So, you know, file transfer protocols or uh, secure file transfer protocols from our third party data sources that we had to mesh through data sharing, which we'll talk about. Uh, we unbound all of that. And you don't have to worry about it. Um, inside of the data itself, you might have PII information or personal identifiable information that's that's inside of uh, inside of these data products itself. So you have to make sure that we scrub and mask all of this PII information and only deliver the information that the audience actually needs to see. Um, and then, you know, we also have, with all these many different data sources, ETL providers, right? extract, transform, and load. Mm -hmm. Or some of the ways that Snowflake has done it is flipped it on its head and it's extract, load, and to do transformations inside mm -hmm. of, of Snowflake. So once we have all of this information inside of Snowflake and we've cleansed it of the PII information and we've made it, you know, domain-centric so it's understandable to the business, we can take this product and it might be gigabytes, it might be petabytes of data, but we can pass this, this product now to your data science team where they can train or build and deploy models, for example, or maybe it's a customer report that we needed. So we have to right. enable, you know, a customer to get access to the underlying data that they need to see, uh, or it could be a data driven intensive business application that you need to unpack for your, you know, it's maybe going on a mobile device for your field workers, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's domain centric. And then, you know, my, my favorite one is probably the concept of being headless. So taking these data products and being able to do, you know, a reverse extract, transform and load capability, for example, into a Salesforce. So if I'm a VP of sales or an account executive, I can go into my Salesforce uh, instance, not be take out of my context, do my job and see, mm -hmm. you know, here is the three year propensity to buy for this, this customer to consume our product. You know, we can take data and put it in the context of where our audiences are from a finance, you know, a CFO to a VP of sales to, you know, the head of marketing. Absolutely. So you're not having to go to an actual dashboard. We're putting it in the context of what matters to that business owner itself. So, you know, it's a few, few areas that you can unlock a data product and yes. make sure it's put into the context of the actual business itself. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's a great summary. Thank you, John. When I think through what are the innovations that are going to be in this space, you know, because a lot of what we're seeing right now around the data mesh and data product is a lot of trial and error, right? There's a lot of trial and error going on around how do you how do you make this work from an operating model perspective? I think certainly around looking at the architecture, as you talked about, I think there's going to be a lot of lessons learned from sort of those first wave of movers looking at moving into a data mesh and data product that could be industrialized and sort of standardized as we look ahead into 20, you know, 2023 and beyond. And so that's what I'm really looking forward to is, is getting a lot of those, those key sort of lessons learned, those early adopter lesson learns, and then thinking through, you know, what do we take away from that to make sure, you know, the next wave are, are able to adopt, 
you know, data as a product and data mesh, perhaps in a little bit more you know, efficient way. But uh, I'm also curious from your perspective, when you look at the architecture, do you think there's anything on the horizon that um, Snowflake or others may be looking at investing in in order to you know, further the, uh, the sort of the technical underpinning of making a data mesh or making a data as a product viable for an organization? Yeah, uh, so when it comes to the way that, that Snowflake does things, I'll take that stance first maybe, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on to what, what the industry is doing. Um, uh, Snowflake has rewritten how data should be managed right from scratch. So we haven't taken an existing product, put it in the cloud, and automated it. We, we've rewritten how everything should work, right? And from that first stitch of code, it was about all of your data. So being you know, structured data, semi-structured data, yeah. it would be unstructured data, streaming data. Um, security was also built in Absolutely. right from, if you go back to 2012, you think about moving your data, your crown jewels into the cloud, that's a scary proposition for mm -hmm. any uh, any organization, right? The chief data officer, the CIO, the C, you, like, no way, I'm not moving my stuff into the cloud. I don't know what's going to happen with it. It was a big, scary prospect. So, you know, we recognized that very early on, and security was was paramount to us moving yes. into the cloud. But the unlocking and what we've all done that you know, as we've come along, you know, the competitive landscape as well, is allowed us to open up. To the infinite amount of compute and yes. uh, you know unlimited amount of storage that you get access to that data. Now yes. we all do it a little bit differently, um, and you know there you know one right way, one wrong way. I don't know. I'm biased, of course, <laughs> coming from Snowflake, but uh, you know there there is um, there is a, a way that that we're all doing this in some part and parcel, different flavors, if you will. Yes. Uh, in order, you know, it, no cake from two different bakers are gonna be made the same, right? There's a little yes. different flavor that comes along with it and we're all doing it a little bit differently. Um, so, you know, but it has been the usage of the hyperscaler clouds and what they provide that's really started this idea of allowing us to get to a data mesh, right? Yes. And, you know, the two other principles that, that I'll jump to that will tie this all together is around self-service. Um, yes. So inside, you know, you've you've brought in all of your data, you've put your business ownership on on top of it. But if the system is not easy to use and access, nobody's going to use it. We've seen that oh, time and time again Absolutely. with enterprise software, right? So you know, the system has to be able to to be easy to use. Your tools that you use in your environment today need to be able to easily connect to those products that you're you're creating right. as as well. And then I mentioned, you know, about the security, right? Making yes. sure that you have the appropriate access controls, making sure that your data is um, is clean, cleansed yes. of PII information, for example. Yep. Right? Absolutely. You, you have to put all of these guardrails around it. So, you know, the four principles, if you will, seem pretty easy in theory. Yes. But it wasn't until the cloud to unlock some of this stuff, right? That we that yes. we could actually do it, and then security has always been a big pain point, right? And uh, how we manage our data, how we secure our data, how we make that data discoverable, how we open it up or democratize that data to your employees, to your partners, to even your customers, 
it's not an easy job to do. So you have to have real trust in the system that you're, you're building with. And that's a really good segue into the sort of the second topic and the second trend around data sharing and data collaboration. And sometimes I think there's a misconception now of this is very much often coupled with data as a product and, and data mesh. But in actuality, these are these are truly independent. Now, one may enable the other a little bit more seamlessly. But when you look at data sharing and, and, and collaboration, this is where I think, you know, not to to blow the smoke anywhere, but I think this is where Snowflake has been truly a pioneer in the the, the, uh, in the enablement of data sharing. And what's driving this, you know, certainly what's driving this as a trend is, you know, the, the, the cookie-less world that we're all about to live in um, probably come 2024. And certainly the, the driver around for organizations around how do you incorporate third-party data to gather better insight, better insights and, and to help, you know, serve customers better, but then making that avail data available, you know, at scale to everybody who has you know, who needs it in order to make some you know, decisions out of it, that's been you know traditionally very very challenging. So uh, I know you're passionate about this space. So let me let me ask you that question. You know, when you look at data sharing and data collaboration, and perhaps we'll put the lens of the Canadian market on it. Uh, what's your sort of you know reflection on where we are in, in a country as it relates to that, and and where do you think we're going? Yeah, I so. Snowflake, I, I have to agree with you, has just blazed the trail for data sharing collaboration and, and, and what that, that means. And it's it's an exciting place to be because you know, even when I joined Snowflake three and a half years ago, I didn't really understand the problems that our customers were, were typically facing when it came <laughs> to sharing data. If you think about um, you know, in, inside of your organization today, I'm going to take a guess. There's probably 10 to you know hundreds or even multiple hundreds of different data, third-party data sources that you have coming into your organization. Yes. Typically, you would be delivering that data package via FTP, or maybe if you're really you know keen on security, SFTP, for example. <laughs> you know, my favorite's email, right? And, <laughs> and you think about what is inside of these these data packages that get sent to you? And there is PII information at times that that's contained in there. So it is not a very secure way of moving data around and Absolutely. sharing with you know from a third party vendor that's providing you this this data source. Um, so that's that's one one thing. The second thing is the reliance on your data engineering team. They now have to take this data in this format unknowing what the really the schemas are they got to build it out there's a lot of time and effort that goes into taking a third-party data source especially a new one and bringing it into to an organization absolutely so you know there's a lot of complexities that come all around with that and what snowflake has done with our data sharing capabilities we've added on what we call the data marketplace yes. and you can connect with partners very easily that you're using today you know one of uh one, one of my the key ones that i that i always use and reference as a great example is Enveronics, right how do you get Enveronics data well you can get that through you know a data share through our data yes. marketplace for example and it's instantaneously available to you there is yes. no ftping there is no emailing there is it's just a share, a virtual database, if you will, that appears inside your Snowflake account. 
immediately. So it, you know, when you see this happen, it's uh, it's an eye-opening eye-opening mm-hmm. experience because yes. you now can unlock not your only your first-party data. So you can think mm-hmm. about ERP data, CRM mm-hmm. data, uh, marketing data, for example. That's your first-party data, right? Mm-hmm. But now I can blend it with this third-party data very very easily. So in yes. the Embronics example, on a single postal code in Canada, they have thirty-five thousand data points. Wow, right? What decisions can I make about the new storefront I have to put up or the new ad that I want to put somewhere when I blend this data with my CRM or marketing data or all three? So the data sharing capability really unlocks your ability to to enhance your data in and itself to make better business decisions. But it gets even more exciting when we think about multi-cloud. Yes. Snowflake doesn't force you into a single cloud. We allow you as the chief data officer in an organization to say, I want to be on every cloud or I could choose to be on one cloud, but it doesn't matter when this network comes into effect, the data cloud network comes into effect, your customers, your partners, your providers, your consumers, all can be on different clouds. And we make it really simple behind the scenes to allow you at the snap of your fingers to see this virtual database. We've taken all the complexity out of it and uh, opened up to zettabytes of data for you to be able to blend with your first party data. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you touched on that third trend right away, and I'm glad that you did, because obviously it's very coupled with data sharing and data collaboration. But I think Perhaps what may not be known for many uh, many individuals who be listening to our, our podcast is that Snowflake, when it started, wasn't multi-cloud. It was actually built originally, I think, to support AWS, if I'm not mistaken, and then it evolved into multi-cloud. And and if you looked at that at that evolution, it was really timely because, I, I, in my view, the timing of that was right before sort of a, a wave of organizations started to think through, hang on a second, do we actually need to have one uh, cloud provider for, for data, for infrastructure, for applications? Can it be a multi-cloud environment? And so what I've seen, and I'm curious to get your opinion here, is Canadian organizations, I think, are at a point where it's not a question of do we adopt the cloud and do we move to the cloud. Certainly there's there's some industries that are perhaps a little bit uh, further back in terms of that maturity curve or adoption curve than others, but I think on hold it, the notion of yes, we need to move to the cloud to gain those efficiencies, those cost effective cost savings. I think those that decision is clear. I think what, what we're all also starting to see and in pockets, specifically industries, I would say that are very B2C focused. Uh, we have started to see a move towards a faster adoption of cloud and a, a more maturing of cloud and a result, uh, a more of a multi-cloud um, um, sort of strategy for, for IT and for, for businesses. But when I'm looking at the, you know, the horizon, I'm wondering what's next. Is Snowflake going to get, for example, to a point where it's multi-cloud plugs, you know, legacy on-premise mainframes that can't be, can't be migrated to the cloud? But you know, so what's next in your perspective of data in a multi-cloud environment? Yeah, so Canadians in general, we've been slower to to adopt the cloud is what, yes. I, what I've seen in the past. Yes. But there seems to be this, this push. I, I would say just enterprise software in general. We've been 
slower, more risk adverse yep. to, to normally adopt. What I've seen with the cloud is an acceleration, right? There's, yes. there, there's an, un, I think the total cost of ownership of the cloud, the, the ability to access tools in the cloud, the ability to just work at the speed your business needs to work at, the cloud enables and Canadian organizations have realized that and are starting to adopt that super quick. Yes. One of the things that I've I've seen is we've jumped into one cloud. We're going to pick our technologies. And the conversations that I've had really lead to, well, I've just acquired another company, for mm-hmm. example. And they are not on AWS. They are on Azure. What do I do? Right? We can't, we're not gonna go lay off all of these high-skilled people and individuals Absolutely. or revamp mm-hmm. our applications over to an AWS cloud just because we've acquired a company that mm-hmm. is Azure specific. So Snowflake re, you know, realized early on, and you're absolutely right, we started on AWS. Yes. We then saw that you know our customers were asking, well, I'm on Azure, can we be in an Azure region or tenant? Yes, yes. And that became very loud for us. And inside the Canadian marketplace itself, Azure seems to be a you know a dominant force is is yes. where we're seeing it. Now, AWS is right there. Don't get me wrong, but you know there's there's a lot of organizations for whatever reason. Microsoft has done a really great job yes. uh, in uh, in in showing what they can do in in the cloud. But we said it doesn't matter what your choice is as an organization. We are going to build the the plumbing. We're going to do all the hard work on the back end to fit into the snowflake principle of it just works. So what I mean by that is we're going to replicate your data. We're going to replicate all of the the roles, the permissions. We're going to make sure that everything that you're doing on, let's say it's AWS, can also, at the click of a button, be Mm -hmm. done on Azure as well. So this automatically unlocks uh, you know, uh, the CXO's office to now I have skill sets in two clouds or maybe three, maybe GCP yeah. is in there as, as well. We work on all three hyperscalers. Right. Um, and you know, now I can use these, these skill sets that we've acquired to the best of their abilities and we can provide yes. them you know, petabytes of data and be able to mesh them together. So all of a sudden, you know, if we had two Snowflake customers, one on Azure, one on AWS, we can very easily, through data sharing, bring those data sets together, and you know, a CFO can get a really quick financial snapshot of what's happening inside of those organizations itself. Um, you know, your your data teams need to be able to build data products, for mm-hmm. example, right? And why choose a cloud? We can be across all of these clouds. And absolutely. Once this data product gets created, well, it's a simple share to make it discoverable to this other organization in and itself. Another benefit that we're seeing to a multi-cloud world is around business continuity. So Mm -hmm. taking risk out of the business itself. And what I mean by business continuity is what happens if your uh, region goes down? And it's happened before. Well, with Snowflake, you can automatically fail over, snap your fingers to an entirely new cloud. We have 
uh, you know, uh, failover capabilities within region as well that are pretty, pretty amazing as well. But being able to you know, flick the switch, if you will, to quickly get over to another cloud and keep your business up and running is something organizations are, are taking, uh, taking to heart and, and really listening to us from a business continuity perspective because it's about taking risk out of their business. Data yep. runs a lot of these organizations. And if we're not able to reduce the risk of that, we're, we're exposing an organization. So through these different strategies of multi-cloud, we allow you to you know, use the talent pool that you have you know, through business continuity, limit your risk, right? Yes. And enable an organization to get data wherever they actually need it to build you know, whatever application that's data yeah. intensive. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're touching on is really around some elements of, you know, really when you look at it and, and think through it, you know, ESG and especially sort of that G side, you know, of, of ESG, where we're looking at resilience, we're looking at uh, just making sure that the business can continue to govern and continue to to execute regardless of an individual, you know, a cloud provider, right? And that ability to kind of move dynamically in a disaster scenario is immensely beneficial. And when I look at uh, our last trend, you know, which perhaps focuses more on the E of ESG, which is data for sustainability. You know, I feel like, you know, there's, this is probably a topic that an individual or a couple folks can go really, really deep into, but I'm cognizant of time and we're, we're probably going to get the, uh, the clock in a minute or two here. But when I look at ESG and I look at data for sustainability, I think this is a use case, if you will, that is going to be getting a lot of airtime, a lot of attention and focus as we head into 2023, 2024. You know, I'm over the personal viewpoint that if you look at Canada overall, we're probably about 18 to 24 months behind where some of our European counterparts and European businesses are in terms of, for example, establishing uh, emissions targets for uh, data uh, for net zero, sorry, and making a uh, making sort of firm targets making up uh, making up a plan to get there and to make sure that ultimately we're we're neutral and net net positive but one of the things i think is perhaps not well understood is you know the cloud has an impact uh, in terms of in an organization's carbon footprint now for depending on the industry it might be a small impact or in other cases could be a large impact and when you look at snowflake's kind of core architecture and the way data is processed data is processed much more efficiently and effectively in the 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 in an architected well-architected snowflake solution than perhaps in other you know legacy on-premise environments and i think that's something that's perhaps often overlooked in terms of how do we reduce our our carbon footprint in the cloud you know a well-architected solution can really help you get there and help you drive some of those efficiencies. And that not only makes complete sense from an environmental perspective, but it also makes financial sense, the ability to drive down your costs to having data in the cloud by having it well-architected, well-processed. I'm curious from your perspective, if you've seen you know, some, some sort of takeaways, some lessons learned from the different organizations that you speak with in terms of how they think through a well-architected uh, cloud data environment to help drive down you know, some of that uh, carbon footprint. Yeah, it it's a really interesting topic as well. And you know, when 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 I look at it from a snowflake perspective, it really goes back to the architecture. Mm-hmm. We shook the etch sketch. We rewrote everything from scratch. And when you know when we did this, it afforded us the capabilities to to think about a whole new world on how do we unlock all of this this data. Um, and from there, 
the architecture itself, when you really look at it, right? If you're going to mm-hmm. geek out on something, I'd go geek out on the Snowflake architecture because <laughs> it is, it is uh, quite, uh, quite miraculous in what we've been able to, uh, I say we, the founders have been able to, to design. But the, the idea of being able to separate storage from compute, um, it, it, it was and it is um, uh, transformational. And it lends itself very well into data sustainability, right? Especially when we think about processing data. We work um, at the speed of business. You need to query data inside of Snowflake. We have, if you will, a hot pool of servers are are there ready to be turned on immediately. And we're talking millisecond to a second timeframe to get a new server up and running to query. Phenomenal. There is no three, five minute delay. Um, it used to be a lot worse, uh, you know, that, that we've seen, but that's just, you know, even in today's market, a three to five minute delay to turn up a server, get everything situated correctly, and then be able to finally query your your data is is leading you to to a higher total cost of ownership, 100%, because you're not working at the speed of business, being able to turn on and off your servers at a second's pace, if you will, it's three to five minutes. Um, And it's it's forcing your teams to to wait, and nobody likes to wait, right? We're we're in the, the age of immediacy, and Snowflake enables that. So when you're able to turn on a server, query data, and then turn that server off, in a matter of a couple of seconds, you know, we, we, our impact from a sustainability perspective, you know, really should be should be lower in, in, in itself. But you know, that's that goes to the to the architecture, the way that Snowflake has been built from uh, from the ground up. Absolutely, and I'll agree with you one point. If there's anything to nerd out on today's topic, it is the underlying architecture of Snowflake. I wholly endorse that. But John, that was fantastic. It was a great conversation. Really uh, thought that we touched on some key trends that to watch out for as organizations head into 2023 and beyond. And John Palazzolo from from Snowflake, it's been a pleasure to have you on the How Data Should, uh, Should Work podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. This was a blast. Fantastic. Thank you. Take care. Join us next time for another topic that's very much near and dear to my heart, diversity in data. The field of data analytics has grown quite large, but as the field grows larger, historically, we've seen some groups be underrepresented in our industry. In this next episode, we discuss some challenges as well as tangible actions that organizations can take to rebalance the number of women and historically underrepresented groups to close this gap. Please join us then.